0: season of Lent, we are exploring this theme, Ready for a Change. And I think if we're honest, we all have to admit that at times we are ready for a change. There's something in our lives that we want to be different, or there's something in our world that we want to be different, and we are ready for a change. Maybe we are even impatient for change. But we also probably have to admit that at times we are just not quite ready for change. Would you say that's true? It's kind of like we are both attracted to change because it brings hope and promise and new life, and at the same time we are repulsed by change. Why are we repulsed by change?
1: Sometimes because of security.
0: Security, the security in the familiar, right? Right. It's comfortable. We know this thing, Mm -hmm. and change is scary. Right? It, it makes us feel like we're not secure. Okay, what else? Fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. That's big, isn't it? I know this. Even if I don't like this, I know it. And I don't know that. Okay? What else? Why do we struggle with change? It's different. It's different. Yeah. Creatures of habit. We're creatures of habit. So you've heard me say this before. The message of Christ ought to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Think about that for a minute. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So when we're feeling afflicted, when life is difficult and challenging and and we feel hopeless, the message of Christ ought to be comforting to us. And it is, isn't it? Have you experienced that in your own life? In times of struggle? At the same time, when we're too comfortable... The message of Christ ought to push us out of our comfort zone, right? And kind of challenge us a little bit. It's always a both and an and. But if we're honest, we ought to admit that we generally prefer comfort to affliction, right? Anyone here prefer affliction? (laughs) We prefer comfort over affliction. So, two weeks ago, on the first Sunday of Lent, when we began this season and this series, uh, we heard the story of Jesus wandering in the wilderness of the desert. This is a story we hear always at the beginning of land. Forty days and forty nights in the wilderness where he experienced what? Temptation. temptation, right? And he had to sort of wrestle with the temptation. Most of the temptations were about putting him smack dab in the center. You know, like he was, he was going to be in charge. And what I suggested that week was that real change always begins with self-reflection, self-discovery, which is why it's always a good idea when you're about to embark on something new, some big change, to take some time in quiet, retreat, spend in quiet for self-reflection and self-discovery. Last week on the Second Sunday of Sarah read a story about the Pharisees who were great at Keeping the rules for the sake of keeping the rules, because that's the way they'd always done things, right? And Sarah suggested that in life it's so easy to get stuck in a rut. To get totally stuck in a rut. And you almost forget why you do the things you do, but this is just the way I do things, right? Does that sound familiar to anybody? And uh, the prayer that Sarah offered was, was the serenity prayer. God Grant me the serenity, the peace, to accept the things I can't change, because there are things we can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the what? Wisdom. Wisdom to know the difference, and that's often the hardest part. What can I change? What can't I change? Help me to accept the things I can't. Give me the courage to change the things I can So today, a story from the Gospels. I love the stories of Jesus from the Gospels because These stories invite us to just like jump right in and find ourselves in the midst of these stories. This is a familiar story. Probably you've heard this before from Matthew chapter 14. It's the story of Jesus walking on water. you heard this before. As soon as the meal was finished, I'll tell you, this meal was a big one. This is the meal where Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, okay? As soon as the meal was finished, Jesus insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the people. With the crowd dispersed, he climbed the mountain so he could be by himself and pray. He stayed there alone late into the night. Now, just stopping there for a second. Jesus, who was surrounded by mobs of people, took the time after some big chaotic thing in his life to be all alone by himself to pray. If Jesus could do this, then so can you and so can I, right? We need to do this. Take time away to be by ourselves to pray. He dismissed the crowds and he sent the disciples off in a boat, right, to the other side while he went alone to pray. And he prayed late into the night. Meanwhile, the boat was far out to sea when the wind came up against them, and they were battered by the waves. And this is the Sea of Galilee. I had a chance to visit the Sea of Galilee a year and a half ago. It's not a big lake, really, and it's surrounded by mountains. And so it is very common that without warning, all of a sudden there will be wind, and a storm just kind of springs up from nowhere. There's no weather report to tell them, you know, you should expect winds around 3 o'clock tomorrow. It just, this storm came up and there they are in the boat. So how are these disciples feeling?
1: Afraid.
0: Afraid, right? And not to mention they're in a little boat, all 12 of them, and it's the middle of the night. At about 4 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Okay, don't let that one go by you without thinking, what? First of all, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, and second of all, Jesus is walking toward them on the water. Matthew just lays it out like it's a matter of fact. But the disciples are seeing this and they're thinking, what is going on, right? Jesus is walking toward them on the water. They were scared out of their wits. A ghost, they said, crying out in terror. But Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage, it's me, don't be afraid. Peter, suddenly bold said, Master, if it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come ahead. Now, <clears throat> I can imagine Jesus thinking, what do I do with this one? Because Peter's kind of challenging him here, right? He's saying, Master, if it's really you, then command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus is thinking, well, it's really me. But what is going to happen this time? If I command him to come, what, you know, what's going to happen? But he just says, come ahead, Peter. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve and started to sink. He cried, Master, Master, save me. Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down and grabbed his hand. And then he said, "Faint heart, what got into you?" The two of them climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. The disciples in the boat, having watched the whole thing, worshipped Jesus, saying, "This is it. You are God's son for sure." On return, they beached the boat at Gennesaret. When the people got wind that he was back, <clears throat> they sent out word throughout the neighborhood, and rounded up all the sick who asked for permission touched the edge of his coat, and whoever touched him was healed." One of my favorite (coughs) authors, Barbara Brown Taylor, who's an Episcopal priest and a college professor and a, a writer, tells this story. It's a story that comes from the Zen Buddhist tradition. And it's a story about a disciple who thought he could improve his chances of enlightenment by seeking it on his own. So he said goodbye to all the his brothers in the monastery, he took the ferry across the river, and he went to live in a cave high in the hills all by himself. There he meditated non for 25 years. Anybody think you would like to do that? 25 years? All by yourself in a cave, <laughs> meditating? Well, at the end of that time, he emerged from the cave, stretched his arms above his head like a man waking from sleep. You would, too and then uh, made his way down to the river. Without even pausing to test the temperature first, he stepped out onto the water and proceeded to walk across the water toward the monastery he had left a quarter of a century ago. Two monks, who were doing their laundry that morning in the river, saw him coming. Who is that, one of them asked. The other replied, well, that's the old man who spent 25 years meditating in a cave, and now look at him. He's walking on water. To which the other monk responded, well that stinks, 25 years? The fairy only costs a quarter. (laughs) I was hoping you would laugh. So this story, back to the story from Matthew's Gospel. It's been depicted often in art, and here's one painting of this story. Take a minute and study this picture and tell me what you notice about this picture. First of all, ignore the fact that Jesus and all of the disciples look lily white. Just ignore that fact, because they probably weren't. Ignoring that, what do you notice? The storm. The storm. Especially here, right? It's coming toward them. It's dark and gloomy, and you can see that it's raining. Or it's departing. Or maybe it's departing. Who knows? Yeah. What else do you notice? It's
1: karma where Jesus is.
0: Notice that? It's almost like he's on the beach, but that's not that's not what it's supposed to be. Too many in the boat. Too many in the boat. You know, this, I do no wonder Peter wanted to get out of the boat. They've been in that boat all night long in a storm and it's a little crowded. I mean I'm sure he liked those people, but that's a long time in the middle of the night. What else? Not to mention, there's only one more, right?
1: Yeah.
0: There's an animal. The mask looks like a cross. Oh, it does, yeah. The mask looks like a cross. So, (coughs) Peter is starting to falter here, right? And Jesus is reaching out his hand. Here's another painting by a different artist. This, Peter's a little, sunk a little deeper in that one. (laughs) So, this story. Um... This is a story that we find in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and John all tell a story with varying details of Jesus walking on water. But there's one thing that is different about Matthew's account. Matthew is the only one who also adds that Peter walked on water. And I have to admit, whenever I read this story, I think... I have no idea what is going on here. I have no idea what this means. I have no idea what to make of this story. But one thing we do know is that Peter did not take 25 years praying in solitude to prepare for this moment, did he? As far as we can tell from Matthew's account, he didn't spend any time preparing for it. It was totally an impulsive thing. They are in the boat, there's a storm, they see Jesus walking toward them. They freak out. Jesus reassures them it's him. And then Peter says, hey, tell, command me to walk to you. And he jumps out of the boat and he starts to walk. Now, what happens when he starts to walk? At first, he's doing pretty well, right? He's cruising along.
1: Then he gets discouraged.
0: And then he gets discouraged. <laughs> And then he looks down. Do you remember that detail? He looks down at the churning waves beneath him. And what, ha- what starts to happen? He starts to say. This right here. Which is probably what would happen to you or me too, right? If we made it that far. Now there's two ways to talk about this story. I know because I have preached both of these sermons. And I'm going to give you both of them in summary. The first one is Peter. Peter, 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 you were doing so well. You had such faith that as long as you kept your eyes on Jesus, you were just cruising along, you were doing great. But then, Peter, Peter, you looked down at your feet, you lost your faith, and you started to sing. Peter, why didn't you just keep your eyes on Jesus? That's one, that's one way to preach this story. That's probably the most common. And we can understand that story. We, that, that message makes sense to us. Because we all know, I suspect you know if you think about it, a time in your life when you were doing well, you were focused, you were centered, you were grounded. And it didn't mean that there wasn't a storm around you, the waves were churning, but you were making it. And then for whatever reason, your faith wavered, you, whatever, you got distracted, you lost your focus, and you started to sink, metaphorically. This is a reality that we all face. It's just as sort a of part of being human. Now that's one version of the sermon. Here's the second one. Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. What were you thinking? Jesus didn't want you to walk on water. Walking on water was for Jesus. If you just had more faith, you wouldn't have tested him like that and said... If you really are the Son of God, then make me walk out. What were you trying to do? Just be like the super disciple here? (laughs) Trying to do something the other 11 weren't doing? You wanted to be the hero and be the show off and you wanted to be the one that got to do what Jesus was doing in that moment? If you just had the faith of those other 11 disciples to stay in the boat, Jesus was coming towards you. You just had to be patient. You hear that story? And there's some truth to that version as well. Because how do we know that God ever intended for Peter to walk on water? Maybe his lack of faith was in the very words of the beginning. If you are the son of God. It sounds almost like the devil in the wilderness, doesn't it? Testing Jesus that way. So that's another version of the... And, and you know what? I could give you both of those messages, and s- some of you would connect with the first, and some of you would connect with the second. Because we all know there are times in our lives when what we most need to do is just get out of the boat. We've been staying in the boat, we've been comfortable, and God is saying, be bold, be courageous, I'm with you. Just step out of the boat, I've got your back. Right? That's a reality. We know that that experience. And probably there are also times when what we most need to hear is, stay in the boat the boat. (laughs) I've got your back. I'm coming to you. Just be patient. You don't have to be a superhero. It's okay. I've got your back. And they are different messages. What I think though is, whichever way you read it, Peter gets dumped on. He either gets dumped on for not having enough faith to keep his eyes on Jesus, or he gets dumped on for being the show-off, the egocentric, sort of, I-want-to-be-in-the-spotlight disciple. Either way, Peter gets dumped on. And I wonder, this time when I read it, if maybe what we need to do is just be a little more gentle with Peter. Because think about it. If it's the first reading of the story... Well, good for you, Peter, because at least you had the guts to step out of the boat. The rest of them were just hanging out there in the comfort zone, and at least you had the guts to take that leap of faith. And if it's the second reading, maybe his actions were a little silly, but could we acknowledge that his motives were probably okay? Okay. You know, they're in a storm in a boat, and he saw Jesus walking towards him, and all he wanted to do was walk toward Jesus. And maybe that's okay, too. What interests me most this time is the words and actions of Jesus, however you want to read that story. What does Jesus do? First of all, when the disciples are freaking out, it's a ghost! When the disciples are freaking out, Jesus says, Courage. Don't be afraid. It's me. Some translations say, take heart. What does it mean when someone says to you, take heart? Nobody says that these days. But what does it mean to you when someone offers you a word of encouragement? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. And if it's Jesus saying, courage, don't be afraid. It's me. I am here. That's pretty amazing. And then when Peter starts to sink Matthew tells us that Jesus reaches out his hand and he grabs him, and the two of them get back in the boat. That's what interests me in this story. Because we all <clears throat> have times in our lives when we find that we are surrounded by ter- uh, what's the word I want? The waves are churning around us. We find ourselves caught in a storm that we didn't expect and we don't know how to deal with. Anyone else ever find yourself in that situation? Life is hard. And what do we need most? We need words of encouragement, And and, and a reminder that God is with us in that moment, that Christ is with us, reaching out to us, pulling us back into the boat, or whatever mess we've gotten ourselves into. So I've been thinking a lot about this word that Jesus offers, this word courage. What do you think of when you hear that word, courage? What's that word mean to you? Not much,
1: huh? <laughs>
0: <laughs> courage. Keep going. Keep going. <clears throat> yes. Strength. Strength. I'm
1: sorry. Face each day with
0: optimism. Face each day with optimism. <coughs> Self-assurance. Self-assurance. Okay. And you know, it's just a few words different, a few letters different, and you get this one. What do you think of when you see the, when you hear the word discourage? That's a bummer, isn't it? Disheartened. Sh- throw out some other words. Defeated. <clears throat> Defeated. Deflated. Frustrated.
1: Frustrated.
0: Confused. 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 Hopelessness you ever have times in life when you feel discouraged? Is it just me? Mm -hmm. We all have times when we feel discouraged, don't we? It's normal. And then just a couple different letters, and you get this one. See what a difference a few letters can make? Encourage. What do you think of when you hear that word? Hope. Hope. Opportunity. Support. Support. Assurance. Confidence. What a difference a few letters can make, and I don't know about you, but I can go from discouraged to encouraged in about 30 seconds. I'm not even kidding. Anybody else? I can go from discouraged to encouraged in about 30 seconds. What does it take to go from discouraged to encouraged? What does it take? Faith. Faith? Where does that come from? Digging deep? What else? Intervention. Intervention. In what way? Somebody else. Somebody else. This is what I think about. The power that each one of us has to offer words of encouragement for someone else. Listen. We can discourage one another or we can encourage one another. Right? Yes, we can. And we, we know somewhere in the back of our minds that God is with us, that Christ goes before us. That's encouraging. But sometimes we need someone else to speak those words for us on behalf of the God who never leaves us. The power of encouragement. It's, it's incredible what any, any one of us can do just by speaking a few. It only takes about three words. Three words that someone says to me that can take me from discouraged to encouraged, just like that. It's not even 30 seconds, it's like a half a second, right? So I want to think a little bit about the potential that we each have to offer words of encouragement to one another. There is so much in life that's discouraging, that's disheartening, and we often find ourselves surrounded by turbulent waters. What we need is to be encouraged, to keep our eyes on Christ, to surround ourselves with other people who can encourage us. So I want to invite you to think about some situation in your life where you need some encouragement. And on this piece of paper, just hold on to it for right now, okay? Write just a word or a short phrase, some situation in your life where you need encouragement. Maybe it's a place where you're ready for a change. Can you girls help me pass that marker? Or maybe it's just a situation that you find yourself in and you feel discouraged and you, need to, and you need a little encouragement. Write a word or a short phrase on this piece of paper that captures that for you. And as you come forward for communion this morning, we're going to invite you to put that right, right in this bowl of water. That's a crazy thing to do. We're going to put the piece of paper in the water. Yes, we're going to put the piece of paper in the water. And you can see that the folks in the 9 o'clock gathering have already done that. <clears throat> maybe this is the boat. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe this is the, the, the water that we're all called to walk upon. I don't know. But we're going to place them in there and in return receive some words of encouragement. So when you come forward for the communion this morning, you're not only going to receive bread and juice, but Sarah and I are going to offer you some words of encouragement. Some of them on this slip of paper. You're gonna give a piece of paper and you're gonna get a piece of paper. And here's what this says: courage. Do not be afraid. Yeah. Thank you. They need one back. And then some words from Isaiah. Listen to these beautiful words. Don't be afraid. I redeemed you. I've called you, I've called your name. You are mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Beautiful words from the Old Testament. So last Sunday, <coughs> Courtney, paper Abbott, shared with us a beautiful song, Ready for a Change. Some of you will here from that. Did you hear that last week? Yeah. And this week, Monique Barrett is going to sing the same song, but a very different song. She's taken <laughs> the same words and kind of created her own arrangement of this song. So consider this a gift.
1: Take okay.